Hello everyone, my name is Jordan Steingruber. Welcome to our third episode of Beyond the Sermon. What is Beyond the Sermon? This is a way for us to go behind the message from the weekend through conversations, questions and answers, deep dives into topics, interviews, and practical ways to engage throughout the week. The hope is that through this series, you will be encouraged, challenged, and more equipped with practical ways to be a disciple of Jesus. This week, I got to spend some time with Pastor Nate to ask follow-up questions about his message. We got into how our lives can become overly segmented, how it can be difficult to know what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, and a couple of thoughts that didn't make it into the sermon. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Let's dive in. As we look at the context from this last weekend, thinking through, for me, I seem to, to see a theme from the beginning of First Corinthians, where we start with a message about calling extending beyond vocation, and then that leads us to, to, to think about how does our life reflect the kingdom of God? How does our life reflect that calling? What, what decisions are we making beyond just what we do to make money and to provide for our families to live out the kingdom of God? That transitions into week two in this series where we talked about the power of the cross, that when we run into conflict or disagreements, we don't yell, we don't intimidate. Paul charges us to not rely on fancy arguments, but instead to show the power of the cross, which you summarized in weakness, humility, and sacrifice, that maybe in our lives, instead of telling people more using our words, we would show them the power of God on display in our lives. And then we seem to continue in the beginning of chapter two with a life transformed was one of your points. A life transformed is the best apologetic, which seems to be a continuation of this uh, this theme of showing people God's power in our life instead of telling them, just using our words. So maybe my first question for you, Nate, would be how do we make the turn from feeling the pressure of telling people, of just talking about Jesus, to actually showing people Jesus' power in our life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, Jordan. So, you know, you, you, the first part of your question, you said, how do we make a turn from just telling people about Jesus? I think I think we'll always need to tell people about Jesus. Um, but what does that look like? You know, is that um, like this, this labored, convincing presentation that we feel like we've covered everything and now they're going to know? I remember an experience. I was in Cambodia once. <laughs> I was with a, a missionary there. He's been somebody we've we partnered with, and I think they have, oh, like 30 orphanages, and they just transformed the nation. And I was sitting in the capital of Phnom Penh with him, and there were all, it's just a region of the city where there were all kinds of non-government organizations, relief agencies. Cambodia has this tragic history. And we were looking at it, some people loading up food into a truck, and he said, you know what the difference is between what we do as missionaries here and what they do? I said, what? He goes, we actually tell them about Jesus. Mm. And that was really formative in my life because I've heard these brilliant phrases, you know, that are attributed to St. Francis of Assisi or others, like preach the word always and when necessary use Use words. words. And a lot of me, like I agree with that. However, when I was sitting there with him, it dawned on me, oh, yeah, we're called to do both, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus, but we're also the mouthpiece because there are great organizations out there who want to alleviate poverty and hunger and all of that, but they don't necessarily have a solution 
you know, they don't have the solution that we as followers of Jesus have. That there's, there's a need beyond hunger mm-hmm. and beyond corrupt governments mm-hmm. that human heart has, and it's a savior. And so I think there will always be that telling, but it's the how we tell it. You know, yeah. sometimes I think we're, it, it, we feel like we have to be combative or argument, argumentative. Or uh, you, Jordan, you brought up the phrase of Bob Goss says, "God doesn't need another lawyer; um, he 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 needs truth tellers." So even the word, this Caruso word that's used for proclamation or preaching, it's more of a sharing. I, I think a lot of times our story of what God has done for me and in me then coincides with this. Then Paul says, when I came to you, like there was a profound spiritual miracle that happened. And we don't have any record of, you know, so-and-so was healed or, you know, thousands of people were fed through one loaf of bread. He seems to be referring to this is what happened in you was extraordinary. It is what human beings have been longing for in every religious system that's ever been developed and every new government that's ever been developed, that there would be freedom and there would be hope and there would be, you know, all these beautiful things for human flourishing. I think he's saying this is we now proclaim and simultaneously, like in harmony, we live it out. And so what if our proclamation is as much about what he has done in us as it is theology? Theology is important. But most people I know who are not yet followers of Jesus aren't asking theological questions. Right. right. They're asking practical questions. How do I get over what happened to me? Mm-hmm. How do I start again? Mm-hmm. What do I do with my feelings of being lost and alone and there, my life is purposeless? So I, I think there's a harmony there. We might have a tendency in some of the the programs that have been popular in the church to prepare people to teach or to share, right. to like, well, well, here's your system, and this is what you do. I, I still think, I mean, we used to, like, in the old days in church, we used to call it your testimony, right? right? right. <laughs> like, you got to write out your testimony. I was always afraid of that part, was like, when you had to practice giving the testimony, I was always like, oh, man, please don't, please don't do that this week. And for guys like you and me... We grew up in the church. Like, my testimony is not right. very compelling. Right. I can't talk to you about prison or drugs or anything. Yeah. It's like, my testimony is like trying to find Jesus in the midst of church. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it doesn't necessarily relate to the guy that you meet on the street right. who's like, my life is a wreck. How do I get free from drugs? But nonetheless, like, the story that we tell, that why I said that's the best apologetic is, like, as this is working itself out, in our lives, your story might not be about prison, but your story could be about fears that Mm -hmm. have paralyzed you your whole life. And there have been people who've tried to help, but somehow there's this new security and understanding that I'm a child of God and I'm forgiven. And suddenly my fears are beginning to evaporate and I find myself at a new level of security and hope. And Mm -hmm. like I'm able to deal with the world and I'm understanding a storyline for my life that isn't just based on what I feel. There's a truth that is that is intersected with my storyline that helps me make sense of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Do you in your opinion or your viewpoint what do you think what do you think is keeping us from getting to that point where you've I mean there's that really as you were talking it reminded me of that old phrase that also comes from a lot of uh history in the Christian world of walk the walk and talk the talk, right? Yeah. Where it's, it's it's both or you know you'd get you'd have people indict oh you you talk the talk but you don't walk the walk. 
and while cheesy and cliche as that is, and kind of steeped in Christian uh, subculture of the 1990s, at least from my experience, um, what what do you think is actually keeping us from that as followers of Jesus that we tend to get stuck? At least maybe maybe I'll just speak for my own from my own standpoint of when I hear things about preaching or when I hear um, about people's belief systems, you know, I even, I even talked about this a little bit in the last episode that I have a tendency to try and I would lean towards the fancy arguments and the, and, and that's just natural. Like, well, if I can just prove it, if I can just phrase it just so they'll see the error of their thinking and, and come around. Do you think that's human nature or do you think that maybe sometimes to even lead you a little bit in the question, do you think that maybe sometimes we don't have much transformation to show for it? in our lives. So then we end up going, Hey, just trust me on this. It's going to be better. Or trust me on this. I know this is supposed to be true. Yet my life is still not very transformed. Does that make sense? It does. So yeah. How, how do you let your life be the best apologetic or right, best defense right. of the gospel? If, if your life has been nominally changed, right? right? Yeah, exactly. I get that. Yeah. That's true. Well, um, I'm not trying to give an advertisement for this coming weekend, but in the rest of chapter two, I think Paul's addressing that where he's going to give a brand new def- definition to what it means to be a spiritual person. And I'll give you like a little heads up. He, he's going to say there are only two types of people in this world. There are the spiritual and the natural. And he says, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. So Corinthians, like there are all these places in Corinthians where we talk about like the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the, the spirituals, the charismata are the phrases that he uses. But Paul's first introduction to teaching about what the Spirit does is he says, here's what the Spirit does. He actually teaches you truth. Hmm. And I'll use an illustration this weekend. Like think of a maze and human beings are on one side of this very convoluted, you know, those mazes that not the one on the back of your kid's uh, menu at the restaurant, but like a really complex maze. Human beings are over here. Truth is on the other side of the maze. And I think what most philosophies and religions do is we're trying to find our way through the maze Mm -hmm. to find God. Well, Paul's going to present this idea. He says, what actually happens is he uses the word revelation. He says, God goes beyond the maze, and the Spirit minds, here's a phrase, the deep things of God, and teaches us. And he ends the passage with this, you have the mind of Christ, hmm. which maybe we'll get to talk about next week. Yeah. So I think in part is, it at times, I don't think we're very good at being Trinitarian. Hmm. You know this... I, I get it. It's so confusing. God is one, but Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know what most of us are? Like, if I could just be frank, and, and I, I tend to do this at times too, Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Hmm. Yeah. It, I, I'm not saying the Bible's not important. I'm not right. saying we should study it less. But I think we live out, we leave out this critical component that Paul says, if you actually want to be transformed, yep. if you actually want to be spiritual, there has to be this supernatural... You have to make room in your life for the supernatural reality that the Spirit is going to teach you, which brings correction. And, and when He's bringing me correction and direction, suddenly my life begins to line up, be yep. more harmonious with what God is doing. And so a second part to your question is, why isn't there more transformation? Is I think we're like the Greek mindset that we read about in First Corinthians is we kind of divide up the world in between the natural world and the spiritual world. Right. And we kind of just, 
I mean, with good intentions, like our spiritual world is really important and it inhabits, you know, my church attendance and maybe my small group and um, certain conversations that turn spiritual. But but I, I think what we miss is that, that Paul, and later in the book, he's going to urge them, like, you have to think that everything is spiritual. You have to reali- right. realize that. When he comes to the topic of sex, he's going to say, you got to understand that that's spiritual as well. Mm-hmm. And he's going to he's not going to say, like, you should do this and you shouldn't do that. He says, here's the deal. You are carrying around God inside of you, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So you need to think about the fact that you are actually the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if I can make movement where I am thinking of my whole life as spiritual, you, anybody who's been around has heard me say this before, I find it fascinating that in the ancient Hebrew language, there's no word for spiritual. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, yeah. It's <laughs> just not yeah. there. Yeah. Because I think the way God intended the Jewish people to think is that everything's spiritual. Right. This meal sitting before me yep. is provided by God. This is an opportunity for me to partake in this creation that he's made. The, the air around me is a gift from God mm-hmm. that... Everything's spiritual. I think the more we can think that way, the more that my spirituality enters into my day job. Right. It enters into my recreation. Mm-hmm. It enters into my relationships with my neighbor. And if I have never built a relationship with my neighbor, but I took an evangelism class and was taught how to go knock on my neighbor's door and talk to them, I just segmented out my relationship with my neighbor well, it's spiritual now. The rest of the time, it's non-existent. Right, right. <laughs> but what if every time I pass by my neighbor's house, that's a spiritual event? Right. A wave, a smile. A wave, yeah. a smile. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So I think when we divide it, uh, you know, that word bifurcated up is there are these times when I'm evangelist or I'm acting as an evangelist, and then there are these times when I just get to be me. I just think we're, we're in a tough space yeah. there. But what if, like, man the entirety of my life is about trying to live out the kingdom of God and, and trying to let the kingdom of God like infiltrate every part of mm-hmm. me. And the, w- when I'm at the store and I'm in a hurry and I end up in a long line, am I looking around at the inconvenience or do I look at the people that are standing next to me and wonder where are they at? What are they thinking? That guy looks worried. I should pray for him. That woman looks like she's had a hard day. I wonder if I could just smile at her and ask, how are you doing? Changes everything. In our current context, in, our, in this story of a transformed life, are there some really practical markers that maybe you could point to? Maybe that's even, you know, I would even lean towards maybe part of Galatians 5. You know, we've got fruits of the Spirit. You know, you talk about, like, the, the Spirit being maybe sometimes a left-out part of of our life. Are those things that we can start to... Because I just... I've been a Christian for a long time. You've been a Christian for a long time. But following Jesus, some, sometimes there are seasons where you're going, is this is this what it looks like? Because even as we look at, at this text, this is ancient text. And so sometimes without the context, without always knowing, and there's so many opinions as we've talked about about this, how do we know when we're on the right track and we're, yeah, and sometimes it gets hard. It gets hard. That's part of it too. This transformation can be incredibly painful as you're rooting out ways of thinking or it's uncomfortable because it feels like it's going against a tradition you've had or a way that you thought for a long time. So how do we know we're on the right track? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think we all get a little bit lost in that, and um, we all experience forms of arrested development. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have three things before I say that. Like, uh, coming to mind is Romans, where, where Paul talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. I mean, the implications of that. He's saying if our minds could be changed, renewed, the, the, the lies, the untruth, and the truth of who Jesus is and who we are and his love for us and value, If what I think Paul is saying is like transformation actually starts upstairs mm. as, as the Spirit renews our mind, but it does take partnership. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like there have been times in my life where I have what I call them prophetic promises, and they're just scriptures I've memorized. And when I go back to, by default, the same old lies, you know, it might be a lie about you're worthless, you're a lie about you're unworthy. Mm-hmm. I, part of how I renew my mind is scriptures I've memorized, I just repeat them. The minute the lie enters mm-hmm. my head, I, re- I repeat it because I want to renew my mind. Yeah. I want to teach my mind, no, that is an emotional truth or that is a flat-out lie from the enemy, and here's the real truth. So that whole idea about fruit, um, I think there are three things that can help us. So you mentioned Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. I love that it is the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it is not the fruit of Jordan or the fruit right. of Nate or the fruit of anybody listening to this. So I can't produce that. But I think what Paul is saying is when we can align ourselves with the Spirit, we're letting Him do His work, then He produces fruit. Right. So I don't... There is there is a partnership involved, but I don't just say... Today, I'm going to produce mercy or patience. Or self-control. Today's the day. I think how it actually happens is I repent of my natural instincts to be uh, cross, angry, frustrated. And and there's room in my heart where the Spirit goes, you know what? You could have had a different conversation Mm -hmm. with your kid. And I repent, and I say, Lord, teach me. Could the fruit of the Spirit come into this place where I've produced fruit of Nate? Because <laughs> right. the fruit of Nate is not helpful. It's right. probably going to be hurtful to everyone. So can I have that? So the fruit of the Spirit. And then it just seems that this is not a new question. So I think there are two books in the New Testament that deal with this specifically. And here was the question. Okay, the first is going to be the book of First John. And the second is going to be the book of James. So... In the first century, apparently there were people who said, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but their lives never transformed. Right. <laughs> and so, especially James, who's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he's really frustrated by this. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're just thinking of this as like, you got your ticket into heaven? And, and so part of it is I think there's a difference between being a Christian and being a disciple. So I think right. a lot of times when we don't see transformation, it's simply because I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I'm going to be with God one day because I've trusted in him Mm -hmm. as my savior. I've Mm -hmm. repented of my sins. A disciple is then involved in the process of following Jesus and discipleship. Even that very phrase, Matthew tastes in the Greek is transformation. I'm becoming like my rabbi. Mm -hmm. So I think a big part of it is when we're not following, we're not going to change. You know, I'll see you in heaven, but on earth, not much is going to alter. So, Anyway, James says, he boils it down to this. He says, okay, you say you have faith. Because I don't see anything tangible as a result of your declaration of faith. 
And so he then goes in and he says, listen, without actually fruit or works is a term he uses. He goes, I doubt that you actually have faith Hmm. unless there, and he brings out his, his, um, his fruit is like that we're caring for the poor, that like you, you're there for the orphan and for the widow. Mm -hmm. So he says this, you can look at your life and you could, you could examine your bank account. You could examine your time. And he says, if there is not something there that is bigger than you, that's not about the kingdom of God, about the restoration of all things, about, you know, caring for those in need, he says, I want you to really think about whether or not you even have faith. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, and, and James has always been one of the most controversial books. Um, even Martin Luther, right? Martin Luther, the great reformer, he called it the epistle of straw. He just thought there was no substance because it flew in the face to his understanding of grace right. and salvation right. is this beautiful gift. Right. And But I think what John is saying is like, a faith in Jesus Christ actually will begin to change your life, right. and you'll become less selfish right. and more selfless. Right. And now here's the second book, First John. So John, who like his his most famous sermon, there's this story in church history that he's I believe he's 96 years old. He's in Ephesus, and they bring him out on a stretcher for he, they, everybody knows he's going to die, so he can't even walk anymore. But it says the young men bring um, John out on a stretcher, and this is his final sermon. He says, he says, brothers, love one another. So, adios agape, two-word sermon, and then they haul him back out. Because that's the hallmark of John's life. So his whole book is this. So you say you follow Jesus, but you hate your neighbor? John just says, I, I can't see it. Mm-hmm. The God we serve, not love is God, but God is love. Like right. God, by his very nature, is loving. And if there is not love coming forth from your life, John says, I really doubt that you actually know him. Mm. So Fruit of Spirit, Book of James says, the works of your life begin to change. And then John says, there's this thing of love. And those two books, James and First John particularly, were what the first century um, church was looking at when they had the same issue. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. a declaration of faith without any transformation. Right. Right. I, I remember listening to uh, a communicator and they talked about something to the extent of we're educated beyond our obedience. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, that's what I often think about even in my own life is that often I know there's a lot of cerebral activity where I know something to be true or I know what I'm supposed to do, but then my obedience doesn't match up. And that's kind of in the same realm sometimes I think, cause we do have so much information, so much teaching, so much content we can get our hands on, but then it ends up that, we just know a lot. <laughs> we haven't experienced it or put it, put it into motion. So my final question for you, Nate, as we, as we wrap this up would be, you've, you put a lot of time into your preparation you study and you go through so much. And so when we, when we experience a message on the weekend and, and we've already gotten to dive into some of these kind of beyond the, beyond the sermon as we're, we're calling it, so we've gotten to go there, but is there anything that you studied that you've got, approximately 35 minutes on a weekend to communicate to the church. Is there anything that as you study and you prepare, even from this last weekend talking about this, that was left out? Because often what people don't always know is, is in all that preparation, what actually gets communicated is sometimes like the tip of an iceberg. And what's fun about this series. And even as we're experiencing is we do get this con continuation. And so we get to hear and get to see, to use that same metaphor, more glimpses of the iceberg emerge, you know, and it, mm-hmm. and it comes up. But is there anything that maybe you got done with this weekend and you thought, 
if only I had time to go here to communicate this one more thing, or is there anything that you felt like was, Oh, that was, I left that, I left that out just purely out of limitation. Yeah. So Jordan, one of the, one of the things I, I didn't feel like I had time to explore all the way was we, we opened up for anybody who didn't listen, um, with, First Corinthians chapter two says, "When I came to you, and we said, well, what does it mean when I, he came to you?'" So, one of the things is like pausing as much as you can when reading the mm-hmm. scripture. Okay, when I came to you, from where? What? Asking these questions. I think we get into a habit of just reading, and we like feel like we have to read a chapter or multiple paragraphs or multiple chapters. Mm-hmm. To me, I think a much better way to approach the text is to read, stop, ask a question. Where was that? Why does that matter? So uh, another part of it was as we looked at the origins of the church in Acts chapter 17 in Athens and then compared it to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I mentioned that you know one of the first conferences I ever went to used Acts 17 as a way to reach right. a postmodern culture. Yeah, And I, I probably didn't communicate this, but that was kind of my mentality for a lot of years. Um, and I do think there's room like Paul was not anti-intellectual. Well, I was going to say like, even though he says, I do not come, you know, I did not come with eloquence and all that. I'm like, you're still pretty eloquent. Like, Oh yeah. He's pretty spot on. (laughs) Yeah. But this guy who had the capacity to stand up at the Areopagus, um, and then after presenting this brilliant sweeping through the ages, like literally in a matter of a couple of paragraphs, he covers human history and these big ideas that God is the creator and he's still sustaining. That was revolutionary to the Greeks. Like that, like he does what? He's involved. He doesn't live in a temple. I mean, think of the big highlights that Paul hits on. Um, it there's a part of me, which I think is this defensiveness. And it it goes back to, I think our original question is why do we end up telling so much? I I think Christians, the followers of Jesus, sometimes we feel like we're on the defensive. Mm. Like we got to prove something when, if, if we could understand that, no, we're not on the defensive. Like, Jesus is one, <laughs> and, like, there's yeah. a solution. Yeah. And what if we came from it from the positive side rather than trying to prove, like, mm-hmm. I can't tell you about your life, but I can tell you about my life. Like, it was changed. And so my own struggle with that would be I, I, I spent too many years trying to create a compelling didactic approach to convince people mm-hmm who Jesus is. And there are occasions when that is helpful. Um, But that whole idea, I mean, Paul says, I came to you out of my weakness. We didn't have time to talk about it, but what does that mean? Like, when I put that into practice, you know, people sometimes want to talk to me about things that are happening in their life. And we are always given a choice. So do I approach them as like, um, wise sage, who has spiritual answers for them? Or do I talk to them about weaknesses in my own life and what I've learned about God and how that might apply to them? That level of authenticity is what I think those who are not followers of Jesus are desperately looking for. We live in an environment where it's all about like putting forward the best you 
impossible, like the job interview, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. In, in some ways, it's a little bit ludicrous. What if you went at a job interview and you, like, told them about, these are my biggest failures. Right. <laughs> these are my biggest weaknesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd probably be disarming, and it might be like, seriously? If right. somebody's going to be dishonest, we want them on our team. Yeah, like, yeah. That's as bad as it gets? Yeah. Okay. So I, I think just a level of, hey, I don't have to be defensive because I know that I'm a sinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that I'm saved by grace alone. I know what God has done in my life. And it actually puts you in a position where you're not trying to debate. You're just, you're a herald. That yeah. was that word, Caruso. Right, like, right. I, this is what Jesus did. So exploring that a little bit more, um, I, I, I do think there's ongoing things for me to personally learn from that passage. Uh, I was going to be straight with you, okay? Even in our church culture, We've created an environment where oftentimes pastors, like, I, I, I hate the fact, but, like, I'm worried when I get up on a Saturday or a Sunday morning, like, did I wear this shirt last week? <laughs> you know? Because right, right. somebody's going to let me know yep. if I did. And, yeah. and do, man, did I say that? I hate being self-conscious. Yeah. Um, in some senses, that is good. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's the didactic teaching. Um, I, I, I need to work hard. I owe something to the people. But on the other hand, like I even felt nudged by the Spirit to say, "Hey Nate, why, why don't you just, um, why don't you just be a little bit real uh, about your weakness at times?" Because I sometimes just feel a sense of like, "Man, I gotta, I gotta show everybody I got it together." Right. Um, and this was worse. Like now I'm lucky if you call me middle age, but when I was 32 years old and a senior pastor of a church and like thousands of people are coming every weekend. Oh my goodness. Like there was so much effort put into that to appear to have it together, to appear to understand. And some of the weaknesses, even I think getting to the point where, I don't know, I just had lunch with a guy today really sharp guy, curious young leader. And uh, he asked me about some end time stuff. Hmm. There's a part of me that wants to tell him, you know, my opinion in the book of Revelation. And I chose not to. I said, well, I laid out four ways that people interpret the book of Revelation. And I said, and I was like in this party for the first like 38 years of my life. And now I'm just not sure. And I could tell one part of him was just so disappointed. Right, right. He just wanted an answer. <laughs> he yeah. made an appointment <laughs> with his pastor to figure out the book of Revelation. Yep. And I told him, I'm kind of rethinking the whole thing. Yeah. But on the other hand, what if that communicated to him? Man, I don't need to know everything. Because mm-hmm. um, there are a few things I do know about the book of Revelation. Jesus is coming back. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be really great when yeah. he does. Um, but... The first seventeen chapters, <laughs> I'm still trying to right, figure out. Right, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's that's super helpful. I think knowing that everybody's in on a process, and I appreciate you sharing that. Well, Nate, thank you so much for taking time after your, out of your afternoon to to share with us and go go a little bit deeper and go into some different questions. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Jordan. Thank you for listening. If you'd like this episode, would you share it with someone? We'd also love to hear from you. I read all the emails that come in and respond to them myself. You can reach us at podcast at faithchapel.cc. Looking forward to hearing from you.